Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, a podcast presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars with regards to game design and publishing. This podcast has been made possible thanks to the fine folks at Double Exposure and their leading game design convention, Metatopia, from which all of these panels were recorded at Metatopia 2017. It's also thanks to the generous contributions of the panel speakers. Now let's get to the show. Episode 136, Crowdfunding Retailer Tears. Presented by Melissa Lewis Gentry and Brian Dalrymple. I'm pretty loud. Most people say that I could, in fact, quiet down. So, but, but what though will um, make it easier on your voice for the rest of the class? Yeah. So let's uh, so let's use mics. Well, I'm, I'm generally speak pretty soft. So. Yeah. Let's so let's use mics. Okay. Also, it'll be easier for the recording. Oh. Okay. Okay. Can you lead off? Do you want to lead off? Yeah. All right. Uh, so uh, this is crowdfunding for retail do's and don'ts. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess. Uh, We'll uh, introduce ourselves. Uh, my name is Brian Dalrymple. I am the owner of the Adventure Game Store in Dragon's Lair, which is a small retail store in South Florida. Uh, I, uh, we just celebrated our 29th anniversary at the store this past weekend, so we're going to be 30 years old next year. Uh, and uh, I, I also worked for a period of time in uh, distribution. I worked for three years uh, for uh, a major distributor of games. Uh, and last year, I started my own small role-playing games publishing company, uh, and we ran our very first Kickstarter this year. We were successful, uh, both during the campaign and in the macro kit process afterwards. Uh, and as a shop, we are a Kickstarter super backer, so uh, we back a lot of crowdfunding projects. Uh, I think we're up somewhere around 140 projects. Um, And hi, my name is Melissa Lewis Gentry. Uh, I am the business manager of Modern Myths, Inc. Uh, And we are the game store that's actually here at the con. Uh, If you go to the conference center, there's a tiny game store here. Uh, Modern Myths has been around for 15 years, so not nearly as prestigious as the Dragon's Lair. I'm sorry. Um, uh, There's there's no cred needed here. Um, But... um, and while we have backed a number of games, I do not think we are in the category of super backer at this point. Um, uh, but both personally and professionally, we are invested in uh, crowdfunding and supporting uh, small businesses get off the ground. Um, so I felt, and we there's been a lot of projects that we wanted to back and we couldn't, and so that's why I really was felt passionately about doing this panel. Yeah, uh, and um, I guess we're not necessarily re- fully representative of a lot of the retail stores out there. There are a lot of negative attitudes toward crowdfunding and uh, Kickstarter specifically in the retail tier. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so since we're both coming from a, a point of view where we think that crowdfunding is valuable and has merit and that sort of thing, um, I guess it, uh, if, can we get a show of hands? Everyone here uh, is like contemplating putting up a Kickstarter and 
Okay, yeah, great. Okay, yeah, that's exactly the kind of audience that we want to talk to. So um, there are ways that a crowdfunding campaign can be constructed that can be uh, inclusive for retail uh, and helpful to all parties. Uh, and so that's what this talk here is going to try to cover. Uh, I don't think that we need to uh, convince you that crowdfunding is a good idea or because I think you're, you're already kind of set on that course. Uh, and um, I think it's obvious that it's, a, it's an established part of the way things are happening now. Uh, but there's a lot of ways that, uh, that it can be made better for retail stores. And there's a lot of retail stores that have some issues with it. And I thought we might go over what some of those issues are because they're, they're valid. Yeah. Um, so uh, the number one thing, if you go to a retail store and send them an email and be like, uh, hey, you should back our game. We have a retailer tier that um, we're giving you 30%, uh, 40% off the normal price and you know, buy this many games. You're going to get a lot of responses back of, you know, your game sounds great. I'll be happy to buy it at distribution, but I can't tie up my capital for that long. Um, and a lot of people, uh, publishers, designers, and consumers um, uh, don't realize that a lot of game stores are kind of living like paycheck to paycheck, quote unquote. Um, uh, the games we buy that week were from the cash from the week before. Um, uh, none of us are rolling in it. Um, and so um, uh, spending $100 that we won't see the games for that for a year is $100 that I could use to fix the stain on my carpet that has been there forever and I don't have the cash to get carpet cleaner this month because I have invoices coming in. Or, if, or put in a more uh, multiplicative yeah. way. Yeah. That $100 could be used to purchase another $100 worth of product that's coming out that week, which could be sold and then profited upon and then used to make money to make stuff the next week and multiply that out times 52 weeks uh, until the Kickstarter stuff shows up. Uh, it turns out that it's actually a lot more than $100 in the end. Um, so it's really hard um, for um, retailers specifically because uh, we're all, all operating on um, while our margins for retail might seem extreme to people who are not in the industry, ask, retailers asking for 50% it seems crazy pants um, until you realize that our actual profit margin is somewhere in like the 3 to 5% maybe. If it's there at all. If it's there at all. Um, so that's, that's going to be the first reticence that you have for a retailer. They're like, I, don't, I can't tie up capital. Um, uh, other reticence you might have is... Um, uh, retailers being like, well, um, I don't know what kind of market I'm going to have for your game. How many people are interested? What if, what if your the entire audience is is like, what if your Kickstarter sells to the entire audience for this game, and there's not extras? What if, um, actually, Brian, why don't you talk about? Oh, that? sure. So, so yeah, the uh, Kickstarter has got metrics that we can look at. So. Uh, I can go in and look at the community tab on your Kickstarter page and I can see how many people in my area have uh, go, already gone ahead and backed your project. So you know, I, I know that those people aren't necessarily going to be purchasing the product from me, but I may be able to leverage them uh, to, for demos and maybe turning on other people. That's kind of what I've got to look at uh, uh, for that. Uh, so the, the fear is that uh, the, the Kickstarter will, will take up the, the alpha gamers and 
uh, not leave enough left over for us. Uh, and the good news is there are ways to include yeah. uh, not only uh, us as a store, but also our customers in your projects yeah. uh, so that you're capturing both of us at the same time. Yeah. Um, so uh, there's been uh, an inf uh, uh, increase in uh, uh, Kickstarters that include a low pitch tier that's not just for there's like the backer, uh, the one dollar or back what you want tier of if you want to follow along in our campaign and just support us as a uh, as a you know as uh, a Kickstarter back here. Well, people are doing like five dollar tier for retailers only to follow along at uh, with it and then pledge later. Yeah, the suggestion that uh, that I used for my Kickstarter was that uh, the the low cost retailer tier was about the wholesale cost of one item. It wasn't so low that when the time came for the retailer to come in and place their orders, that they, they didn't just discard uh, the dollar or five dollars that they had spent. It was enough where they would miss it. Yeah. Uh, but it was a good placeholder so that when they came time to actually place their full order in, they already had enough credit for one copy. Right. And they could then decide how many more they wanted to add. Because, uh, you know, even, uh, even though the, the, the general makeup product-wise of our two stores is, is similar to each other, and, and this can be wildly different from a lot of stores across the country. Uh, an initial order for our two stores might be wildly different, especially on a particular product, yeah. just because the volumes are going to be different. Yeah, we have, um, um, so uh, my store, um, which a lot of stores on uh, in cities that have small physical footprints, uses a system called just-in-time ordering. Um, so for all of our game reorders, uh, we keep one copy of a game on the shelf. When it sells, we order another one. Um, so there, we don't buy a case of games at the time unless it's released. On release, we'll buy a case of games, but as soon as that sells down to that one copy, we're restocking one at a time. Uh, and that's because we have stores in um, the New York metro area. I don't know if you've heard this, but property values in New York are slightly high. Uh, no, that's a rumor that anyone heard. Rent is a little high in New York. Uh, same thing with our, our Massachusetts store. Uh, uh, we're not quite at New York prices, but we're close. Um, and so for, um, but when, when you are selling to stores in the Midwest, um, you're getting completely different things where they can keep a case of each game on the shelf and because they actually have more than two bookshelves to put games on. Right? Yeah, sure, but, but by the same token, their, their foot traffic might be less, their volume yeah. may be less. Yeah. So, uh, like for my shop on a new game product, uh, unless I have a lot of pre-orders in on it, or I'm super excited about it, or I know everything there is to know about this thing, and I know it's going to be blistering hot, uh, my, a, a large quantity for me on an initial order might be three copies, four copies. Yeah. Uh, for something that, that's amazing, like the D&D book that's coming out next week, I think we've got like 25 in. Yeah. But, we, but you know, I know stores that'll go 200, 300 on something like that. So every store is different in terms of the quantity they're going to go in. So when you set a specific quantity and attach that to your retail tier, uh, it might work for some stores, it might not work for others. When you make it flexible, you've got the ability to kind of tailor to everybody. Yeah. Um, so absolutely. Um, the other thing that you should be aware of that flexibility um, uh, is important and the communication with your retailer is important as well because let's say that you have 15 different retailers that end up signing up for your Kickstarter. Well, um, 
So if they've signed up and they're going to buy, one, they're 100% invested in you succeeding. Because that's them succeeding. It's a win-win. So you think of them as a remote marketing team for you. Um, uh, now, uh, not all of them might be as skilled as you want your marketing team to be. Not, not all retailers are created equally. Um, but ultimately, that's what you're paying them for. And that's why you're giving them the discount so that they can pay their wages to their employees and their rent and the like to have these games up as advertising. Yeah, and, and keeping in mind, going back to the first point about tying up capital, that's, yeah. a, that's a real commitment on their part when they're going in because they could realistically just wait until the game comes out through the regular distribution channels and buy it at more or less the same price and yeah. not have that money tied up. But when, they, when they're choosing to have the, the money tied up, I know there's, there's a couple of games that we've backed um, that left a bad taste in our mouth because we didn't get all the backer rewards because we were a retailer, and I'm sorry, you're not, you're not, you're not like a real customer. Um, so we didn't have the backer rewards to give our customers, um, and that's that. Does that make you want to invest in a company? Wah, wah, no. Um, uh, there's uh, been other ones that we've backed where the actual retail other stores that went through distribution got it before the backers did. Yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of a big no-no. Yeah. And that applies also, obviously, to your, uh, to your regular backers as well. I mean, if they, if they were to walk into, you know, just a local shop and see a shop that picked it up for retail before they got it uh, on their own, when they committed to you early on, uh, it's a bit of a slap in the face. Uh, and stores kind of look at that the same way. What The ideal way to handle it, I think, is to treat your stores in a similar way to the way you treat the rest of your backers. If you can afford to, Give them the options to get the extras, even if they even if they have to wind up. You know, if it's if it's an extra that you need to pay for, then you know charge the store uh, on the extras, uh, even if they're not getting a discount on the extras, as long as they're getting a discount on the base stuff, uh, and obviously get your items out to your backers, including your retailer backers, early before it gets into the distribution system, and uh, if you can send them out at more or less around the same time, what we recommend uh, is. Uh, for enticement for stores, uh, one of the pluses that I uh, fall back on for successful Kickstarters that I've backed has been that I get the product ahead of time. So I'll have it, you know, maybe two, three, four weeks before my distributor's got it on the shelf, and it's kind of a special thing. Yeah, um, and for, for methods of doing that is uh, if you're setting a street date with your distributor is really important. A lot of companies do that, but a lot of companies don't. Um, when you set the street date, um, uh, that makes sure if you're um, if you're not sure when all the Kickstarter backers are like if you're in the in the you know thick in the shipping process and not sure when every all of them are going out you know a bulk of things are going straight to the distributor. That means you can make sure that all the distributors know when they can send it out and that you can cover your backers uh, and then get the product out at a reasonable time so that way. Uh, there's not mistakes of like, oh shoot, we forgot to back to, we forgot to send all the backers on this thing, uh, but um, uh, but oh no, we already sent the games to this distributor and they're already sending them out to stores. Yeah, and depending on, on who you're dealing with and for what your, your what your systems are, you may be able to to adjust those dates yeah. to account for things like delays and stuff like that. There was a major. Uh, uh, campaign that uh, went through uh, last year that uh, attracted a record number of stores uh, and they wound up in some delays uh, and they had promised the stores that they would have it a month before it hit distribution and when they wound up with delays 
they delayed their shipments out to distributors and told them they had to hang on to it so that the stores that acted had a chance yeah. to sell it first. Yeah. Um, so, uh, oh, in-store pickup. That's a great, great thing. In-store pickup is, 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 is a, is a, uh, a bonus or, or a benefit that uh, uh, we've seen some publishers have, have, uh, have uh, attached themselves to this. Seamon, uh, I think, is one. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, the idea behind this one, uh, and again, not every store is going to necessarily want to do this. This is more or less going to be like a voluntary thing. But the way we worked in our in our uh, Kickstarter for Espertenesis was uh, we gave every uh, retailer that uh, participated in the program the option to uh, let us list their information on our site and then direct our backers to their stores so they could go into the store and pick it up uh, on release there. Uh, and if they elected to do so, there was no shipping attached to the backers' uh, uh, rewards. So, uh, if normally there would be, you know, ten or fifteen dollars shipping, uh, that would be discounted off of it because you'd be picking it up in the shop. And it it allows the store owner a shot at uh, the customer coming in. Maybe it's somebody that they don't normally see, uh, but it also is a chance uh, to expose them to other products or add-on products or things that might be uh, helpful for them. And, and keeping in mind that uh, the money that they spent through the crowdfunding campaign was spent months ago. So they may have some available capital. The, the way I think in-store pickup works best uh, is if um, the company works out with the retailers that are going to do your in-store pickup and have add-ons for sale there. Right. Yeah. Or, right. or, or you know, if you can't even, yeah. you know, tie it in with some kind of event. Yeah. Uh, if uh, if you're offering uh, a, a retailer backer level, have something special that's there for the store. Uh, if you can, if your game is something where you can work up an event to uh, attach to it, then you can have it so that oh, there's going to be an event that happens when people come in to pick up their stuff. They're, we're going to be demoing the game and playing the game. Yeah. Uh, and. But uh, with ours, you know, the, your, your mileage is going to vary depending on the retailer, right? Yeah. So I had, I had one retailer uh, tell me, you know, why would I ever do that? Why would I, why would I uh, have a customer come into my store to pick up something that they've already bought from somebody else? Uh, and it's a mixed blessing because uh, you have to determine if you're not a store that has um, a back room. We don't have storage space. Like one of my stores, we have a basement and we have closets. Cool, it's great, we have a basement, we have closets, we have a place that we can stick stuff out of the way. My other store, we have one of the bathroom bathrooms was converted into my office. My desk is above where the toilet hookup was. Um, I don't have any bathroom, right? And so it's very hard for me to do in-store pickup there um, uh, because like, again, this is like all of our product is on the shelves. Um, so some stores might decline that, not because they, they don't want to support, but like we literally don't have the room to keep product that's not for sale. Yeah. So your mileage is going to vary greatly yeah. on that. There's going to be a variety of reasons. I had other uh, uh, stores that told me that they backed us specifically because we allowed that option. And yeah. Gave them a chance to uh, market themselves to other customers. So yeah, all stores are going to be different. How do, you, how do you start that dialogue without coming off and being... <laughs> um, uh, Ganwell is probably a good place to, to reach out to retailers and actually um, meeting someone in person is really great. Um, but then also um, finding your local store and starting there. Right. Um, 
Yeah, so what we did with ours, we did we built it into our uh, into into our, our Kickstarter and into the text, and we said if you're a retailer backer and you want to take advantage of this, contact us and let us know. We made it completely voluntary, and uh, we had of uh, of our 13 stores that backed us, 12 of them opted in, including right. the guy who said, "Why would I ever do this?" Yeah. <laughs> so it's a it's a bit more of like putting it out there and hoping they're receptive. Right. As right. Because to going after. Yeah, because you are going to come across some very negative attitudes against crowdfunding in the retail tier. There's going to be some people who are like, you know, I would never touch it. I would never stock anything that was crowdfunded. That's a real thing. Yeah. Uh, and at the very least, you're going to see some hesitance uh, on the part of stores to, uh, to stock something deeply. But if they feel like they're included in the process, if they feel like, uh, like they're part of what's going on and you're treating them as a partner, they'll generally uh, partner up with you because they want to make it work for everybody. Yeah. Go ahead. Question. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a it is, it is a new thing. It's a it, it's kind of a reaction to this sort of uh, dialogue that we've been having back and forth with publishers, uh, and I think it's a really good idea. Again, I don't know how how I, I would I would charge more than a dollar, uh, just so that there's more of a chance that the retailer feels like they're more invested uh, in what's in what's going on. With I would that. love it if you charge me only one dollar, but it's entirely reasonable if you charge me for one wholesale copy of your game. Um, and uh, when we ran ours, we actually had a higher level also. So we had we had the one copy of uh, uh, wholesale cost of one unit, and then we had uh, like a vanity level mm-hmm. higher up, where we offered kind of like you're buying into the whole line. Uh, you're getting uh, slightly, slightly better terms than you would get if you were getting it from wholesale. Mm-hmm. You don't want to go too much deeper than that because then the wholesalers start to get really nervous. But it was maybe two or three percentage points more. Uh, and that came with some vanity stuff, that with more marketing stuff that was helpful for the store. So inclusion of store name or logo in artwork in the book, uh, special events. Uh, uh, ours was a role-playing game, so we, we, uh, we have an organized play campaign attached to our uh, role-playing game. We were, we're making a special set of adventures that are only available to our retailer backers. Uh, and that was at a higher commitment, uh, and I'd say we were about 50-50. About half of our backers went in for the, we'll back you with the lower amount and we'll figure it out later. And the other half were like, no, sure, you know, I want my logo on a station. Yeah, because ultimately um, you need to remember that retailers are also consumers. Um, we are buying things, we, we don't always have our smart hat on. You know, we don't always have the, what would be the most economically viable? Sometimes we're like, oh man, this is cool. Like, you know, like we're, we, no one runs a game store to get rich. We're all running it because we love games, but we're also responsible. Like I have staff, I have to pay their wages. Like I have to be, I have to be a responsible business owner. Um, so, and, and because of that, it's like, it's always picking and choosing. And you might have the best game that I want to back. And you know what, for those, I often will back them personally and not back them for the store. Um, because 
if it's if it's too much of a if it feels too risky, you know, I it's like I, I have my ultimate responsibility is making sure my staff can get get their paychecks at the end of the week, right? And as a fan of games, there's a bunch of different uh, projects that I've backed. Uh, if if the campaign did not have a retail tier, or had one that was you know a dozen copies, and I'm looking at that saying, well, you know, in a year I might could move four or five yeah. if it does great. Yeah. I don't know if I can go in for a dozen, or it just wasn't it wasn't a good fit for me. Yeah. I've still gone ahead and backed it uh, as a just as a as a, a consumer yeah. uh, because I wanted to show my support. Yeah. Question back there. I guess I'm not understanding what's in it for the the person running the Kickstarter to do this, and, and kind of at both expenses okay. that you've been talking sure. about for different reasons. All right, so uh, once a year in Las Vegas, Nevada, which is actually going to be in Reno this coming year, the Game Manufacturers Association hosts a, a trade show. Uh, and at this trade show, we get about uh, 700 retailers come out to it. They're the attendees and the hosts are the trade association and the different publishing companies. Uh, publishing companies undergo tremendous expense to be able to exhibit at this show so that they can show their product to retailers in the hopes that these retailers will carry the game and put it on the shelf. So what we're talking about here is what it's, what's in for the publisher is you get a store that's going to carry your stuff. And, and if you've equipped them with, with, with other tools that they can use to help sell your stuff and advocate for your stuff, uh, it is uh, a less expensive way, certainly, than going out to an open house or a trade show or that sort of thing to put your product out in more areas. The more places your product is going to be available for sale, the better it's going to be for you. And if the buy-in is like, well, if I have a Kickstarter audience, why do I want to do retail? That's a, that's a reasonable question. Sure. Uh, not every game designer should try to do retail. Um, uh, retail is a very specific market. Uh, and if it's something where your Kickstarter backers are your market, that's, that's basically, you have a thousand people that backed your Kickstarter, but probably not, and there's not many other people that are gonna want it. Um, don't do retail, that's a waste of your money. Um, and it's a waste of our money. Yeah, and your, your margins have to be able to, to sustain it also. You've yeah. got to be able to, to put something into stores and still be able to make some money or come close to breaking even on um, uh, the, the margins that we're talking about. If you're putting out a game that's going to cost you $50 to make uh, and you're... Uh, One, it, don't make that game. Yeah. Well, <laughs> th th so, so, so there have been some major big box things that have come through that have not been available at retail. Like one of the biggest ones that came to last year was Kingdom Death. It's not available yeah. at retail. Uh, Gloomhaven had to get set up to do a second print run because it was, they could not afford to print enough quantities to get it out onto retail because the cost, uh, because of the economy of scale, uh, the cost to produce the quantity that they were doing per unit was too high. So if your costs don't work out, you know, don't do it. You know, you, uh, by all means, if, if your margins can't afford to be placed in retail, uh, either figure out a way to adjust your margins, charge more, or just avoid the retail tier altogether. Yeah, like, I do not know a single retailer that wants a game designer to fail, right? We're all invested in this, right? And so, but that being said, not everything scales. Not everything is made to go big, and, and, and retail is meant to be, okay, um, 
if I make a thousand copies of my, uh, or I get a thousand backers, it's because I can support 5,000 more with that funding, right? And you need that 5,000 to go out. Um, uh, the, the other thing about, uh, and I know this wasn't a, uh, a panel about choose retail, um, but uh, uh, one thing that people, uh, as designers or publishers, you should uh, keep in mind if you're not familiar with retail is, um, uh, uh, retail stores are, we sell games from the store and we also sell games on your website because people come into the store they're like, oh, please tell me about your game. We'll do a fantastic demo, we'll really engage, I love this game, I backed it on Kickstarter, and they'll go, great, thanks, snap, walk out, go online, oh, there's the website, mm, let me buy it, okay. Uh, it's a thing. It happens. Yeah, it's, it's called showrooming, and it, yeah. it does happen. But there are obviously there, there are obviously other instances where somebody will come in and look at something, have a legitimate interest in it, yeah. get curious about it, and make up their mind later yeah. when they're maybe not at your store or maybe in a different town that they, that they want to pick it up and have it delivered to. So yeah, the the exposure, having your product out there in other yeah. places, uh, will also generate direct sales for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, I, in your uh, presentation earlier this morning. Made a comment about you asked someone, you know, after their Kickstarter was successful about distribution, and they, mm -hmm. their response was, "Oh, yeah, I'm really interested in distribution." You're like, "Okay, I'm walking away." Yeah. Like, it, to me, it, it seems like a situation where coming out of Kickstarter sort of puts you in a headspace of whether you should consider distribution. So, yeah. should you be should you be farther down the distribution hole before coming to that point? You should you should start thinking about it before your Kickstarter. Right. Uh, you should. Have an idea of um, because when you're when you're structuring your Kickstarter, you should be thinking about how many units you're going to be producing, right. uh, your cost per unit, and so you're going to get an idea of like, okay, my estimate is that we're going to get 200 people to back this, um, but that's going to let us make a thousand units, right. and we're going to have 800. You know, like you, you want to be thinking about your economy of scale way before you're, you've you've closed your Kickstarter date. Uh, and so for there's some designers that I've talked to that are thinking about that economy of sale, like we've made enough, uh, so we got backed, and so I'm gonna have like 50 extra copies of my game. And it's like, that's not enough right. to put in so distribution. You, so you're not talking so much already having distribution conversations in place, but more so knowing what your path for physical copies in the, in the larger scheme, when you're talking about putting your games on retail shelves across the country, you're talking about distribution. You're right. talking about the three-tier system. Uh, if you're talking about you know filling 13 retailers out of your Kickstarter so that they can have it put on the shelf, that's great. Yeah. Uh, but really, if you're if you're looking to to produce a large quantity to put your games on a lot of different shelves, you're going to be right. looking at, this, at multiple different uh, uh, vectors for distribution, not just. Uh, direct to small hobby stores like ours, but also you can, uh, depending on what kind of product you have, you might also be looking at mass market and other uh, situations like that. Yeah. Right. I, I guess maybe the better way to phrase that is what kind of conversation would you want to hear in order to feel more confident? Like what, what information do you want to see so that you don't want to wait for that conversation? Oh, um, and, and basic, uh, the basic response to that is that um, Oh, yeah, we're planning on going dis uh, into distribution, uh, and there's a few that I'm navigating. I'm not sure which one is going to be distri distributing it, but it's like, I'm already thinking about that. That's all I really care about. You know, hammering out, like, whether you're with Alliance or PhD or Southern or anything like that. 
I mean, if you know and you're with the distributors that I'm already uh, signed up with, that's great. But that's that is a later stage. That's that is generally yeah. And when, 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 when a retail store says after they hear that you're going to distribution that they're not going to be backing your Kickstarter, it doesn't mean they're not going to be carrying your game. Yeah. It means that you know they're waiting until it comes through, and you know they're going to be stocking it the same way as if yeah. it had come through the traditional method. And if you know the best thing that you can do is if. Um, uh, if a retailer is like, you know what, I can't, I don't have the capital to back a Kickstarter, uh, you know, I just can't commit to a tier, even if it's, you know, the the cheap tier, still be like, well, would you want to be on our email list, and we'll let you know when it hits distribution, and they'll be like, yes, because right. they still want to know about your game. If they say no, that means they hate your game. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> or that they're inundated with email, or they got other stuff going on. Um, uh, but there, there's many ways to engage to make sure that you can still get your game out there. We have a question here? Yeah. You just put a context in terms of numbers, in terms of how many independent game stores there are in America, and then also, um, I know you mentioned some distributors are, but are most distributors either um, regional or national? Mm -hmm. Just talk about margins and markets. And okay, so uh, there are probably about uh, five major national distributors. Each one of them has multiple warehouses. The smallest one has three, uh, and the largest one I think has around 10. Uh, are you including Amazon in that or not including I am not including That's Amazon. Not, those, are, those are distributors that sell to retail stores. Amazon is a retailer that sells to consumers. You can use Amazon. Yeah, you're right. Yes. Uh, so, I mean, although I will occasionally buy a product on Amazon, uh, if, if it is hard to find in the chain and my customer really wants it and it's for a birthday tomorrow, I will go ahead and, you know, eat the, the difference. Yeah. But when I'm ordering from a distributor, I'm getting it at wholesale price. Yeah, my policy for Amazon is that I do not negotiate with terrorists, um, and so I will never use them again. Yeah. Uh, then, yeah so, but, well, and, yeah. and while for, uh, for you as a publisher, Amazon may provide you with a, 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 an amount of sales that is comparable to one of these major distributors. They are not, in fact, a distributor. Yeah. Uh, so, so we're talking about uh, uh, companies like Alliance and ACD and PhD and GTS and Southern Hobby, and uh, if anybody wants. Uh, when, when we're done here, uh, I can pass out some business cards and I can give you a list of, of who these different companies are. But uh, what the distributor is going to be expecting from you in general, what they're going to ask for first, if, if they've decided that they're going to bring your game in, is they're going to want to get it at 60% off of whatever the suggested retail price is. That's what they're going to be looking for, is 60% off. Now, now, are they hard and fast on that 60%? No. It can be negotiated away. Things uh, it, it can be different. But that's what they're going to be looking for. And then they're going to take that product and they're going to turn it around and uh, offer it to us at the retail level at somewhere between 45 and 50% yeah. off the suggested retail price. So their margin is going to be in the 5 to 10% range. Yeah. Uh, but they're going to be moving an awful lot of product, and the vast majority of the product that gets out the stores in that uh, way. What sort of minimum numbers would they, you know, if you, if you got a national distributor that was interested, what sort of minimum numbers would they be moving? So it depends on the distributor, it depends on the individual warehouse. Uh, these distributors all have buyers that are in charge of this sort of thing. Uh, they're going to look at the past history of uh, similar products that, they're gonna, uh, that have gone through. Uh, and then the like distributor that's got you know, uh, one main warehouse in the Midwest that handles 80% of its business is going to order more for that warehouse than their warehouse in California, which handles you know, pretty much just the West Coast. But the reason why they have all these different locations is because they want to be basically within a two-day ship of every store in the country. 
And as far as the number of stores in the country goes, it all depends on what you consider a game store to be. I can tell you for comic book stores, there's about 3,900 comic book stores with accounts with the comic book distributor. Because um, I'm, I'm a hybrid store, comics and games. There's more game stores than comic book stores, so I think we're around 6,000 was the last so, time. So the numbers I've heard uh, are somewhere in the range of 700 to five or 6,000. Uh, if you, if you want to count any store that carries any kind of game, you can push up closer to 10,000. Your core, like hardcore stores like us, are going to be sitting down more in that 700 range. And those are the stores that make it out to Gamma Trade Show that uh, are the weekly orders with the distributors. And then uh, you have like a, a second uh, rung of stores which are going to be hybrid but more toward the other thing that they're hybridizing with, whether that's toys or sports cards or, uh, or comic books uh, or books or records or whatever it happens to be. Uh, and then you're going to come down into like gift stores, museum stores, and then mass market is a whole other thing. Yeah. So as an order of magnitude, just as a follow-on, what would be like a decent minimum order for like you need to, if a distributor, and I, go, I know there are a lot of variables, but if you had 500 units, would that be considered a decent minimum order or 100 units? So again, it really depends on the distributor and what their focus is, right, and what the product is. Uh, so if it's a really good fit for them, it's going to go out to a lot of their uh, stores that they could order in the hundreds to start with, especially if it's in something that's moving really well. Like right now, board game card games are going to move more than a role-playing game. Uh, when uh, when I'm shipping stuff out to a distributor, I uh, I have a minimum of a hundred dollars their cost uh, before I'll ship to a warehouse. And uh, what I found is that most of the warehouses kind of try to hit that minimum right on it. And then the big high-volume warehouses will, will be you know. A, a, many, a factor many, much more than that, four or five times that. I know that there are also smaller distributors and sub-distributors that are like distribution services, like things like Impressions. Yes. Um, uh, and, and, IPR. And, and, yeah, and, and, and there are, in fact, still a couple of regional distributors left. Uh, at one time, all distributors were regional, and uh, uh, there was a, a phase that went through in the late 90s and early aughts uh, where the bigger distributors started just buying up a lot of the smaller ones. That's kind of where, we're, where we are now. Yeah, um, we're luckily in the games industry. There's not uh, a monopoly on distribution, um, but um, there are certain games publishers that tends towards exclusivity with one distributor, and um, uh, I cannot stress. I literally cannot stress strongly enough how much of a bad idea that is. That is literally the worst idea I've ever heard in my life. From a retailer perspective. From a retailer perspective. It might be a good idea for you. But yeah, um, uh, uh, I use two main game distributors and two sub game distributors, right? Um, and then I order from a couple companies directly. Um, uh, out of the five major, but like nine total distributors in the US, I use really two of those. Yeah. Um, that's normal for most stores, two to three. And there are, there are uh, uh, fulfillment services and consolidating services. Uh, uh, Melissa mentioned impressions. There's also uh, PSI, Studio Two, uh, and these are, uh, these are warehouses that hold product from a large number of publishers from whom distributors can order product from dozens and dozens of distributors with one order. Ingram? Ingram used to be So for Ingram does book, book sales. Yes. Um, and so I can tell you as, uh, so I am both a bookstore and a game, so we do comic books. Um, uh, we used to have an, we, we have an account with Baker and Taylor. Um, and it, Ingram is very similar to that, but I can tell you while um, we don't order any RPGs through there, 
not even one. Um, we used to order some graphic novels through there, but unfortunately the shipping minimums are such that um, at this point it's not viable for us to use those as distributors anymore. Um, uh, uh, if you're doing specifically RPG book sales, yes, of course, get an ISBN. Yes, of course, register yourself um, you know, as a book, but use the game distributors because the people who want to stock those books are using game distributors. Um, uh, ones that are, I mean, we can go over yeah. distribution, and, 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 let's, and, let's try to veer back to Kickstarter or, or uh, Indiegogo and Patreon and that sort of sure. thing. Yeah. I, just, I know, uh, not trying to get away from Kickstarter, the book business has returns and all that. I used to be a book buyer. Yeah. So is the same thing happening in the gifts? Because I know Amazon, who I should do, two years later I got some daily because they had a warehouse and I'm like, where's this coming from? So you think you made a sale and like two years later it bites you. Um, so not a great story, but I don't know, does this happen in the game business? So the, the norm in the game business is that what you order, you own. And how quickly do people get paid? Like if a publisher is dealing direct for a retailer, are they slow payers? Is it paid on receipt? Right, so, so normally, a publisher is going to be dealing with a distributor rather than with a retailer. Right. Uh, and the, the sad truth is you will get paid kind of on a priority system. Uh, you can detail how quickly you get paid in the terms of your agreement with your distributor, and you can vary that. You can say, if you pay me within X amount of times, your discount is this. If it's uh, further, your discount is this. Unfortunately, in many cases, uh, you will find that they will always try to get the largest discount and always try to take the longest amount of time to pay. Yes. Uh, yeah. uh, so, uh, but, if, but if your product is really important to them and they need it, your stuff will get ordered more often, and, and you will get paid faster. So with the Kickstarter, because I wasn't familiar, that's what I was raising earlier, that there was a retail category. So the objective is to get your sales arms involved early on, and then reward them. And yes. you're saying that what happens is the bad things, they released it to other people, so you've invested and you're not getting the benefit. But that's one, like one thing, because, because Here's the thing about Kickstarter is no one wrote a manual on how to do this when this crowdfunding platform came out. Uh, there's been lots of experimentation over time. Uh, and some things have worked and some things haven't. Uh, and some things worked really well in the first year of Kickstarter and the entire market has changed since then. Um, uh, it's a very different world uh, now than it was, what, five, six years ago. Is that a reward though for the retailer? Like a low this would level? be uh, creating a tier. So a low level tier where it's a low buy-in, mm -hmm. low investment because you're selling. Right. And then a, a, a benefit. A lower of, kind of customizable buy-in. Yeah. yeah. Would so, it be so. a sample? Like could, could there be a reward that's, you know, a sample game, a store demo copy? Um, like, I would have it be throw in a store demo copy at usually like another tier. Yeah, usually that's a seventy-five percent off is usually demo copies, um, uh, but included with because you don't want to just buy a demo. Yeah, copy. So you sometimes you'll see with a higher commitment or, yeah. the, or a higher pledge level, uh, if a, if a store is buying like a, a case quantity for like a board game, you know, if you buy six, you get a demo copy thrown in. Sometimes you'll see that. Uh, but we get available to us through distribution from several of the, of the larger board and card game publishers uh, the option on a new release to purchase a demo copy at a reduced cost. Yeah. So besides if an RPG book you have your store printed in there and or you have a demo night, what other perks would a retailer like to see from the publisher? Posters? Oh. I'm sorry? <laughs> 
promos, 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 promos. Things that we can give away with the, the purchase of the game. Yep, okay. yep. Um, a, a special uh, type of, special of, of piece. Yeah. And special. Right, yeah, yeah. Right. that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, whether it is a component to the game or a, a sweet pin yeah. or you know so, something. Of course, right. extra character exclusive yeah. or something or yeah. tchotchke. Yeah, exactly. exactly. But you would be able to give them away as part of retail? Exactly. We would, with, with purchase, you get X. Yeah, and, and, and you, uh, you would probably be well advised to keep the, put a, a maximum on that. Uh, so that uh, the first ten backers or something, uh, or, or or say that you know, you know for uh, a minimum for like a case, right? So yeah. uh, you get no more than a case worth of these extras, yeah. oh. so that you can satisfy. So on our end, we're going to be looking at our our alpha gamers, our our best customers. We're going to say, hey, this great new game is coming in. It's really cool, and if you get it from us. You're gonna get access to the special set of cards or special set of pieces that goes Understood. with it, yeah. and that's only for our our top people. We don't need that for everybody. We used to do video games in Walmart with their own levels. Yeah. Sort of yeah. Okay. Can you speak to the the differences between Kickstarter, Indiegogo, blah blah, with regards to what you've been speaking about today? Are, are there any differences between those different um, sites um, with regards to? Oh, so uh, I, I have back projects on crowdfunding platform other than other than Kickstarter. Uh, initially, I was doing it because Kickstarter had limitations in terms of like where on planet Earth the product might be coming from. Uh, so I, I backed some uh, projects from uh, Europe and from Asia to uh, get access to those to bring in, but they worked very much the same way. Uh, the difference would be maybe I got charged sooner, uh, but in terms of how those things will be structured, uh, it was set up the same way. Uh, you know, if, if you're a retailer, you get access to this neat thing, uh, and you get it early. Uh, in the cases of things that are hard to find that come from far-flung parts of the earth, the incentive for me on the, on the retail side is, I've got this thing that probably nobody else will have. Like, uh, if you, you may see over at the Modern Myths table, the Witch RPG. Yeah. I had the Witch RPG on my shelf, before any store in North America did, because yeah. I was the only store in North America that contacted them to bring them over. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a, it's a great game. Yeah, um, uh, the only thing with Indiegogo, but it actually, it's it's valid for Kickstarter as well, is that uh, Indiegogo, if it doesn't get full funding, you get you still get structured tier funding, and for a retailer like that's like if you couldn't get enough customers to buy in. Um, during your crowdfunding campaign, that's a big red flag to us because that means we don't know if we're going to be able to get any customers to buy it at all. Um, so I'm a little bit leerier when it comes to Indiegogo, unless I've seen you've already fully funded and you have a ton of backers. Yeah, yeah. Just just like the distributors, we will be looking closely at you know how successful the crowdfunding campaign is, and we'll be gauging our likely demand off of that. If it's you know if if it kind of made its uh, initial goal and not much further than that, you know, maybe we're going to take a, a second look at it as to whether we bring it in, but if it's wildly successful, maybe we're going to bring it in. Yeah, and, and also just a, a notice, a thing that I've noticed in Kickstarters uh, recently is uh, this is a bad Kickstarter strategy as a publisher, which is to self-back for the amount of money that you're going to invest in it to already hit halfway your Kickstarter goal to try to trick the numbers and metrics to get yourself on the front page. Because um, the thing is that well, I'm not just looking at the dollar amount you're collecting. 
I'm looking at the number of backers you have. So it's very easy to see that if you have $20,000 backing and three backers, that I know that someone's cooking the books there. Um, and, and that is something like, there's been a couple campaigns that have been doing that lately. Don't do it, it's a bad idea, it's transparent, and it's, it's ultimately detrimental. Um, are there books, consultants, or people who are book and book yes. experts, at, and is there a list available? Jamie Stegmeyer wrote a book uh, on Kickstarter, uh, and uh, what brought, what, Jamie Stegmeyer? Yeah. yeah, Stonemeyer Games is his yeah. website. He's, he's got like an online Bible. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and actually Fred Hicks, uh, Fred in, Hicks in the Deadly Friendly blog has a lot of really good suggestions. Um, James uh, and, and Math also has yes, some really good and, and, and actually in the Kickstarter uh, FAQs and yeah. stuff like that, there's a lot of really good uh, helpful advice for that sort of thing. Yeah, the Luke Crane is the liaison last yes. I checked. Um, mm -hmm. He is a lovely human being. Um, and usually, I, I, I have no idea how busy he is at this point, but sending him an email um, uh, is never a bad thing. And he's, he's presented at this show multiple yeah, times. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We got a couple okay. more. Uh, in, in doing research in the space, I've often heard that uh, being successful on Kickstarter in varying amounts of success um, can dissuade distributors from wanting to work with you. Is that still the case? And if so, I mean, if it's, if it's a strategy where you want to go that direction, ultimately want to grow bigger, are you kind of decapping yourself by doing Kickstarter? Yes. Okay. Yes, the, the, the short answer to all of that is yes. Uh, if you okay. crowdfund, uh, you will run the risk of distributors ordering less or perhaps bypassing you entirely. Retailers, the same thing. Um, because the belief is going to be that there's no meat left on the bone uh, on that for a specific retailer. Or, or that They've been circumvented and don't matter. Yeah. Right. You, you circumvented the three-tier distribution system and did direct sales, and you've used up your audience. Um, is there a way to navigate that properly? To so not properly is a really strong word. There are, there, there are methods. There yeah. are ways of doing it. So, so some of the suggestions we've offered here are ways that you can reach out to retailers to say, listen, right. we want to include you. So it is the hope that because you're getting retailers interested, distributors will want to relook at it because you already have stores interested. So yeah. if the stores are interested, then perhaps others that don't know about it would be at that point. Exactly, because the, because if you've got your product available for sale at retail, the hope is that it will sell. Right. The retailer will need to reorder that game. They're right. not going to reorder it through Kickstarter because the window has closed. Right. So they're going to want to get it from a distributor. Uh, and ultimately, um, Crowdfunding, and Fred Hicks has some wonderful things to say about this, is that crowdfunding and Kickstarter um, is a great thing to do with your first couple of games, to establish yourself and to develop a company. Um, but once you are an established company that has credit and funding and capital and the ability to do a production run without crowdfunding, once you're at that level, um, generally, you're going to want to use more traditional publishing me uh, um, methods um, as you're going to be taken seriously by distributors more. Yeah. Uh, and your, your product is going to be, you're, you're buying into the established system uh, and you're, you're going to get distributed in a wider manner at, if you act with more. Unfortunately, Kickstarter is not really considered professionalism at this point. It's considered the hobbyist tool right. to jump into the industry. Well, you it, kind it, of have to show that you know what you're doing, and, and but you'll get to a point where now they'll take you seriously, and the fact that you did Kickstarter is irrelevant yeah. because you've done two or three successful. Yeah.
yes, game. Yes. Uh, so, and, and, so they don't care anymore that you cut them out because now they just know that you're I, I'm going to cut you off and let a few other people ask yes, some sir. questions. Um, so I'm going to actually back to the person next to you. Was, well, actually, I want to piggyback on that because I'm confused because the Jackson Games just kickstarted Munchkin Shakespeare and Slugfest keeps doing more Red Dragon in through Kickstarter. So just, I'm confused. Okay, so the publisher uh, can see the crowdfunding as a valuable tool, even if they can afford to just go ahead and print all the Rothstein stuff, it, the, the, the crowdfunding uh, campaign provides you with some really solid information. It lets you know, gives you some kind of idea of, you know, how, is this thing going to have legs? How popular is it going to be? How many should I print? Uh, it's a great so, marketing tool, but I'm confused because now you're saying that I'm not going to stop well, other of those games. Okay, so, okay. It, 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 so you're, you're going to see some of that. Uh, I think as a general rule, what, there's been some tolerance for uh, publishers kickstarting lines, but not like individual products inside of lines. Okay. Keep going back over and over and over. Because yeah. uh, the more that that happens, the more there's going to be backlash, also, uh, both at the retail and, and distribution level. Also, if it is a product that you think you can sell all the copies of the game that you can through Kickstarter, it's a good idea through Kickstarter. If it's a game that is not going to do well and is not going to do well in stores, then it's a good idea to Kickstart it, right? And so for those two particular products, those tail ends of the lines, there's generally a rabid fan base that is following that. And if it's a rabid fan base that's following it, they're going to be following the website, they're going to be buying direct, they're going to be, they're not going into stores for that anymore. Yeah, you've been waiting. Yeah, um, uh, I'm in, I think, all of the Facebook ones, and um, my, my only frustration with some of those, some of them, they're great resources, and then there's a lot of people shouting on the internet. <laughs> um, uh, so I find that the Facebook groups are, are interesting, but I can't really engage in them because the internet exists. But you're right, James Math, uh, or Matthew, uh, uh, has some fabulous resources uh, for uh, setting up your Kickstarter, absolutely. I think we have time for one more question. It seems to me that the game market is overlap between hobby, bookstore, mass, and toy and gifts. Yes. And those all, at least in my background, have different sales rep organizations mm -hmm. and distribution channels. So are there more distribution uh, channels mm -hmm. to look at besides just the hobby game, which you're, you say the list? Because I know there's like regional sales reps in the game. Yes, and in the educational market also, yeah. there might be like Huge. individual jobbers, yes. It's, yeah. and so there are, there are the other distributors beyond the ones I mentioned. The ones I mentioned were strictly for the for ones hobby, that hobby stuff like us. Yeah, for, for uh, strategy, board, board and games. card games, and role-playing games. So which, mostly if you look at the association umbrellas for each kind of trade segment, you would find the distribution. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So if, if you were to go to uh, to the ABA or to, uh, to ASTRA, yeah. uh, uh, or to uh, even to uh, to Toy Fair, yeah. uh, you're going to find a whole different set and of distribution. Levels sometimes you have there. games through the comic book distributor as well that are if they're comics related. Like there's um, Publishers Weekly. Yeah, 
Um, ultimately, your product is going to need the right channels for it. And we can't speak as to every one product in the room because like, uh, you know, everyone is doing slightly something slightly different. And that because this is a big enough convention that it's not just strategy RPGs or, or you know, fantasy RPGs or you know, that stuff anymore. Um, we're specifically coming at this from the angle of doing specialty hobby stores that do hobby board and card games, yeah. uh, role-playing games. Which, which is where you're, you're going to see, we're the stores where people are going to be playing games, yeah. we're the stores where you're kind of like your most energetic alpha people are going to be coming back to, uh, and where you're going to see like your most advocacy coming through that way. Yeah. And we, you know, we'll be stocking this stuff longer. Yeah, unfortunately, I think we're at the end of time, because uh, uh, there's another panel in here after this. Um, but if you have questions for us, uh, 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 Brian, where can people find you to ask questions? Uh, well, you can find me on, uh, I guess you could, uh, I could give you a business card. Yeah, you Brian has business, business cards. cards. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at ADV Game Store. Or if you want to email me, I'm at Adventure Game Store at gmail.com. And I am, uh, for all day tomorrow, uh, or from 10 to 8 tomorrow, I'm going to be behind the booth there. Um, uh, so you're welcome to come ask me questions, but if I'm selling a game, let me sell that game. <laughs> uh, let me be advocates for our publishers here. I have a, a lot of local designers here dropped off their games with us to sell for them. Uh, so if you want to see some stuff of other people around here, we'll have those. Um, uh, and you can also find me on modern-myths.com. Uh, thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Applause. That's okay. lovely. Yeah. Oops, I'm sorry. Woo. Okay. Was it your card, too? I left my cards at my room.